listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of splatterpictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes Dead Air Knife here with always typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 2014 Irish mystery fantasy thriller action. No, not really. Horror film classic. Let us pray. It's not a classic yet. Are you kidding? No, it's not a classic. Classic doesn't. It's not a the, classic. Is not necessarily about the time in which it's taken first of all 2014 is not as is, is is not as recent as perhaps our brains would have us believe five years a lot of things can change in five years a lot of things can change in 800 years too but i mean in, in 2014 doesn't make a classic also in that i don't know if anyone's ever watched this movie outside of you and i but that just means that it is a classic waiting to happen ah ah and we could just say things are classic, you know, if we want to. Yeah. Okay. It's a free podcast. That is a free podcast <laughs> in several ways. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I like that you ran down the, the gamut of genres. This is billed as a fantasy thriller. Did you find a lot of, like, purely fantastical elements? I would say the fantasy element to me is a town with no people in it. Yes, very much so. Very, very. We're on the same page. Thriller? Would you kind of classify this as a thriller? No, no. I wouldn't say thriller. I would say because to me, thriller there needs to be moments that. I don't know. Thriller's so weird because what does that fucking even mean? To me, thriller is a made up thing because you don't want to call it a horror movie because, oh, the, the PR people won't like that. Or it has no blood or anything like that or no supernatural element, like something like a Hitchcock film. In my mind, I think thriller, I think Hitchcock. I think Ellery Queen, Mystery Magazine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think Giallo. Giallo, yeah. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I, I suppose nowadays thriller is just so tossed out. It's just like, oh, it's a thriller. Anytime that there's like a serial killer in a movie, they just call it a thriller. Yeah, it's, um, it's like dark drama is yeah. where you're going into thriller when mm-hmm. you don't want to call it horror. Yeah. Is it because you don't want to call it horror? I don't know. I get, it is well. Yes, it's definitely thriller. Is is how they try to disassociate themselves from the genre of horror. I don't think nowadays it's quite as scandalous as it was perhaps in the '90s. I think it's something that's sort of left over. Because to me, when you say thriller, I'm thinking of of like those weird noirish sex dramas that were in the early '90s. You know what I'm saying? Body like, double. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like fucking nine and a half weeks. Just like weird. Fucking has a thriller, yeah. yeah this hand the rocks not a thriller. the cradle. It's not even a fantasy thing because people, if you say, "Okay, I'm a fantasy fan," and feed them this movie, I think they'd be angry with you. You would have to say urban fantasy. That's the we need to dark Irish religious urban fantasy. You would need to subcategorize it again because when pe- when you say fantasy, I mean you might be thinking 
Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings or, or and then you see who's casting this and you'd be and like, then, oh, oh, I'm I'm on the for maybe this, yeah. maybe it is the Game of Thrones or even something like Pan's Labyrinth that that's fantasy, because uh, um, you know it's literally got like fairies and shit in it. So there's that. This is um, angels and 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 uh, prophetizing and shit, but they're all wearing like long coats and smoking cigarettes. So it very much is still in keeping with Lore of Illusions because like it has that um, Hellblazer John Constantine element to it where mm. you could be standing in front of something that could be divine or incredibly uh, demonic and the only way to know that is to read between the lines about the shit that they're saying because they will never flat out say I am this with with like yeah it's not dogma it's not dogma <laughs> no it's like the Metatron's not going to come down Alan Rickman's not going to like you know although that would be an interesting addition to this film if Alan Rickman just showed yeah, up totally and and to lay it out for us a little bit of expo because we mm-hmm. need an info dump. Well, no, we don't need an info dump. The casual viewer may not need or want an info dump because it's good enough for them to come to the end of this film and be like, well, everyone's Satan. But (laughs) I had said while we're watching this, wouldn't this be more rich if we were Irish Catholic? Mm. Because there is a lot of religious, there's scripture thrown out in this, there's old poetry thrown out in this that is... um, a canon within Catholic culture that we're not 100% privy to. Mm. It helps that you're an armchair demonologist. Yes. That does help. (laughs) I hesitate to say armchair even. Armchair works. I I would say, (laughs) I I would definitely say that there's, there's a level of me in dusty bifocal sitting in my own chair with my private library of demonology books, but I'm, I didn't go to school for it or anything like that. No. And the fact that we turned to the internet, you didn't know this guy by name, right? Yeah. I'm giving away way too much. Yeah. Yeah. I'm giving away way too much. So before we get into the actual movie, a couple little things like normally we have a few plugs, but I want like, I got nothing really. I got, uh, go watch some typical books. And Chris has a new show out um, attached to Bind Torture Cast called Run, Hide, Kill, where he covers horror video games. And he starts out with Resident Evil 2. And I really liked his first episode of this show. And I'm, I'm glad that he's found an outlet because he did cover a few horror video game things. And as he'll tell you in the flagship episode... He's got a lot of ground to cover, a surprising amount of ground to cover. So go check out Run, Hide, Kill. Uh, it's on the Bind Torture Cast stream on Libsyn. You can find it on iTunes, probably by searching Run, Hide, Kill, but Bind Torture Cast for sure. And before we get into that, though, because I got nothing other than go check out my YouTube channel, I wanted to take a quick peek at this Trivial Pursuit Horror Movie Edition, 100 Years of Horror, and unbeknownst to Wes, he's now the star of the show. What? Welcome, Wes, to 100 Years of Horror, to Real Pursuit, Horror Edition, where you win fuck it all. But I'm going to just try and stump you. Oh, my God. Whether you like it or not. Oh, my God, I'm nervous. I don't like my show host voice either, so we'll just go back to normal Lydia instead of, like, game show, spin the wheel of horror. <laughs> okay. 
Now I've just pulled one card random from the deck. Okay. Uh, Chris picked this up and we have gone through a couple of the questions mm-hmm. and I find the questions quite middling. And every time I play, I suck terribly at this because my brain oh. just does not work right. in, in trivia form. And when I want to recall something, it's usually not there. So uh, Chris does quite a bit better. I, I, I got a little better. It depends on what the questions are, though. Right. right? And every time I play, I'm like, Wes would kick so much ass at this because your brain does work on a pretty quick recall. Sometimes, yeah. I'm You're, nervous now. No, don't be. <laughs> You're full of random horror facts. I love this. <laughs> In Trick or Treat 2007, the group of four women are revealed to be what type of monsters, witches, vampires, werewolves, or zombies? Werewolves. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> What actress played Jesse Burlingame in Gerald's Game 2017? Well, I don't know. I've never even seen that. Oh my god, I'm so glad I stumped you on the second question. <laughs> I really thought we'd get through the entire deck. <laughs> From where is the adult Tim released in the beginning of Oculus 2014? Yeah, a mental institution. What type of musician is the protagonist Mun in the Eye 2002? What type of musician? She's um, she's a violinist. Yes. Yes. Ah, see? I'm surprised if I got any, right? Honestly, like, when it comes to um, Trivial Pursuit, I find that my horror, like, like I just feel as though, yeah, I think I know things, but maybe I don't. Try me on one question. Sure. I'll I won't get it right. Oh, is this... I don't know if you would know this one. Oh, you know what? You'll know. Just ask me a couple ones. Here's, here's the perfect fucking Lydia question. Oh. The Void 2016 was largely influenced by what H.P. Lovecraft novella? At the Mountains of Madness. Correct. Ooh, this is a this is, see like this is a fucking hard question. You'd really have to all the footage in the Blair Witch Project is meant to come from how many cameras used by the backpackers? Two. See, like that's a. That's, I feel like that's, that's tricky. A, that's a tricky question because you could watch that movie like fucking ten times and not really know how many cameras were actually they were they were filming on. Yep, I only remember because the two they at the end they unearthed two types of tapes. That's how I figured, but then it could have been more cameras, right? In Goodnight Mommy, which of the twin brothers is revealed to be dead? Ellie. Yeah. Oh no. Lucas. Oh, well. I like that I didn't even like have to give you the names, but like, uh, yeah. See, like that's one where I'd just be like, I know I've seen the movie, I know the the twist in the movie, but I can't remember those kids' names. Ah. Uh, yeah. What is the other one? See, this is the one where I skipped it because I was like, I, I like, I can't imagine. I don't know this. Well, you know what? Maybe you will. I'm being fucking stupid. What director made both Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 1956 one? And Dirty Harry in 1971. Oh, God, I don't know. Uh, yeah. See, like Spielberg. Don, no, Don Siegel. Like, that's like, this is fun. See, it is fun. In Ginger Snaps 2000, Ginger becomes what supernatural creature? Another werewolf question. I know, that's right? That's so random. But that is a weird thing with this is some of them are super, super rudimentary and some of them are insanely obscure. Yeah. Who directed Don't Look Now in 1973? Uh, that was... I can't remember. Nicholas Rogue. 
Okay. Not that I would know, but I mean, like, you're expected to know the answer that is werewolf for so many questions, but then they throw one like that at you. This is one that could be obscure depending on who you're asking. Alice Sweet Alice, 1976, was the film debut of what actress? Brooke Shields. I know, right? It's wonderful. that, mm-hmm. And I, I like that they dip from really, really recent to very, very old. Like some of the mm-hmm. very first horror films. Here's one that is, I really want to know if you can get this, because we did talk about this when we did this movie for the show. Uh, on what United Kingdom studio was The Descent filmed? Uh, the one with something wood. Yeah, Pinewood. Pinewood, you, you thank know you. It, yeah. yeah, it's the big one. It's the big... The only one. <laughs> yeah, it's the big one that everyone films out yeah. there. That's cool. Ooh. What is the first name of the child adopted by the thorns in the omen? Damien. Yeah. Like, I didn't even let you finish the question. Yeah. My pal Damien. Like, here's a question that's, like, ridiculous. Like, like ridiculously easy, I should say. In Friday the 13th, what character is revealed to be the killer? What? Yeah. In Friday the 13th, what character is revealed to be the killer? That's Nin- awesome. 19? Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it would trip people up. In the same way that it tripped up Drew Barrymore. Did they say Pamela Voorhees or Jason's mother? I think it says Pamela. Mrs. Pamela Voorhees. Mrs. Pamela Voorhees. As if she had a husband. What was the name of the American remake of Juan? The Grudge. Yeah. Yeah. See, like, I'm thinking, like, like, what? You're, 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 like, when, when questions hit you and they're so easy, you're trying to figure out how they're trying to trick you. What is the name of the mutant that sacrifices herself to help the Carter family survive in The Hills Have Eyes, 2006? Uh, it is... The mutant that helps them survive is the girl, and that is... Okay. Not, not Pluto. Not, not Pluto, not Jupiter. Uh, fucking... Is it not a planet? Then I don't know. <laughs> I was like... It's Ruby. I wouldn't have known that, because my, my answer to that would be... Not Jupiter. Not Jupiter. I was like, because like in my mind, they're all planets. Ruby's not. True. Apparently. Holy shit. Like, this is so tough. What was the name of the haunted Italian luxury liner in Ghost Ship 2002? Like, what the fucking name was the boat? Oh, my. Oh, my. I didn't know that. La Dolce Vita. I'm going to give you half a point because it's the same language. Uh, Antonia Graza. Like I'd have known that. No one no one knows that. Yeah, I was like, no one knows anything about Coach Ship. In Ringu, 1998, the ex-husband of the protagonist Raiko is portrayed by what? Wolverine. Oh, I don't know the name of the actor's name. I didn't even... Like, he was zero in Wolverine, but, like, I don't fucking know what that actor's name is. That's okay. I can't pronounce it. <laughs> at the end of night of the living dead the deputy mistakes what character for one of the undead and shoots him ben yeah poor old ben poor old ben is right. yeah like you're right though like these like really run the gamut of what is the name oh what is the name of the fictional iranian ghost town in which a girl walks home at alone at night is set like what's the name of the ghost town that she's in oh my god i don't know it's not truth or consequences it's not elephant butt yeah it's actually um i was like is it yeah i I, yeah la hacienda bad city bad city yeah it's just bad bad city bad city that's a cool movie the killer in the bird with the crystal plumage wears what color gloves black he is the black glove killer yeah 
<laughs> That's the only thing that makes that question fun. But yeah, I think that once in a while, I don't know, maybe for punishment or for picking a dumb movie or <laughs> when we when we have a very short review because we have been really under time today. Um, I think that we should pull out a couple of these questions from time to time because it is fun and you never know what you're going to get. It's like a box of horror chocolates, Wes. <laughs> That's really cool. This is fun. Honestly, I forgot that we were recording a podcast. I could just do this all day. <laughs> so I figured that was a nice diversion aside from check out Teresa. Yeah, check out Teresa. It's back and and uh, the pages that we have done, we've gotten a really nice response from you guys. Um Super fun to do, and we got some really fun stuff that's coming up. Uh, by the time this airs, there'll be some more fun stuff. It's like just really nice interactions with characters and shit like that. But I tossed in some action beats if you want to see Teresa fight a giant demonic centipede. It's there. Ah, cool. I know I do. I know I do. So aside from checking out Teresa, checking out Typical Books, and Chris's new show on Vine Torture Cast called Run, Hide, Kill about horror video games. So what is this movie even about anyway, Wes? <laughs> this movie is about when the hiring policy to an uh, Irish precinct is, are you probably a serial killer? And everyone checked the box, yes. And they said, well, good, because that's what we're looking for. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's why they're so hostile toward the new girl. Yeah, which was something that I was really curious about. I was curious about a lot of things entering this film when instantaneously when you see the character of six you know that he is otherworldly i mean he is uh he is uh heralded by a murder of crows i thought he was a vampire he could be a vampire you had pointed out quite uh aptly that this has one of the most goth intros that you had ever seen. I love the intro to this movie and it Mm -hmm. uh, caught my attention. And it was one of those films where I thought, why aren't more people screaming from their rooftops? How wonderful this movie is because it's got a lot, right? Like, and it is a horror movie. Us all going, dancing around the genre, them dancing around the genre. It is, is a splatter picture at that. It's quite graphic from time Mm -hmm. to time. It, delves into horrific elements. It has a supernatural element to a certain extent. It has occult leanings. Mm. And it is a horror film proper. Mm -hmm. So I really loved it. And then to, like, when I revisited, I watched it about four or five times now. Uh, I love the soundtrack. I love the imagery. I love the the ideas that are going on in this. I like the idea of retribution. I like the idea of these people getting what has come to them. I like the idea of a fairly pure soul having a lot of say in that and what, where it all culminates uh, is a lot darker than your typical religious slash horror fair. So I really did enjoy that very, very much. And goth as fuck. Yeah, you ain't kidding. You could probably overlay a like a Sisters of Mercy track over the intro, and it would totally work. It totally does. It is a goth music video from the mid to late 80s and early 90s. Definitely is. And not just with all the crows, but like waves crashing on this. Very like romantic. It evokes a romantic era and mm-hmm. a lot of the colors, the palette used of uh, oil paintings from the romantic era is what it reminds me of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of the the imagery uh, slowed down 
uh, we got to see it, uh, a, a beautiful uh, HD copy of it. So, I mean, all of this stuff to let you know that not only are we looking at Earth and nature, but it's slowed down to a perspective that humans never see. So it's to let you know that this is an otherworldly representation of an Earth that we can't quite understand. We don't notice with our naked eyes. Uh, we can only do that with technology. So it's very interesting. There's a lot of subtext to this film. I think that to to watch this film as a straight reading would be a, a, a terrible mistake. Uh, you really need to start thinking about what the filmmakers are trying to do, which is challenge uh, your perception of the storytelling. And that's how come I had said to you midway through this film, it really reminded me of the Brit invasion of the, the Vertigo years of comics uh, because it was like that. It was Neil Gaiman. It was Graham Morrison. It was these guys coming in and bringing that weird frilled cuff because it's um not to mention that you know those guys were from like uh scotland and ireland and, and britain and stuff like that because there's these weird um distrust of authority going on even though some of these people are authority and and they're displayed as very much uh reprehensible people very corrupt system <laughs> even in the small scottish hamlet of inverney yeah and and you have uh, uh you know it seems quite poor it's you know you're dealing there's the caesar's this punk kid uh sort of like carries a box cutter like a typical scottish hooligan yeah exactly right just like a general general uh troublemaker uh and, and so there's all these things that like culturally uh, it seems a bit weird and it's like i don't know if everyone from the west could really understand um, but I mean, like another film that it reminds me of in terms of like the distrust of authority is the film Eden Lake, which oh. also is, um, an Irish film. And it really goes to show you about like this pack mentality that, uh, people can have instead of looking at like a, an unruly group of children, we're looking at an unruly group of police officers that hide who they are basically in plain sight and all kind of have this hush hush attitude towards their behaviors. And if you're not part of that well then you're not part of that no and it almost crosses that line into my darling genre of hillbilly and folk horror mm. where you've got that sort of pack mentality and doing these things in, in plain sight mostly because it's a it's a desolate tiny hamlet mm. yeah it really is a small town and, and we're we're starting off with a bit of a bang because you, you, we are are introduced to uh, someone in law enforcement and Again, it's one woman on a street versus one guy in a car versus potentially hitting one other person on the street. There is no foot traffic. There's nothing. And it really comes off as a, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's probably for budgetary uh, concerns, but also it really makes it seem like they're in this closed space. This is occult times. They, uh, our main character didn't wake up in the world anymore they she woke up in this closed space to test her to become the thing that she is going to become at the end of this film like these people couldn't have even existed other than inside this little tiny sphere and that is that explains why they would all come together maybe mm -hmm. this little town doesn't function quite like we're introduced to it mm -hmm. with all of these fucking psychopaths everywhere every single person's a fucking psychopath yeah 
So we have Rachel waking up. She's a new cop on the force. And yeah, like you said, she encounters Caesar, who has just um, committed a hit and run. Yeah, but we don't know that. We know that uh, he has probably hit six, who is... Who is it? Cunningham? Uh, Liam Cunningham is yeah. the name. And I'm not a fan of the show. Who like, is Liam Cunningham, Wes? He, he plays Davos uh, Seaworth, who is uh, a character in Game of Thrones, one of my favorite characters in Game of Thrones. That's a huge cast of characters on that show. But he, he really... He's this soft-spoken, uh, grizzled, seafaring war hero, essentially, that kind of seems to be tugged along from terrible leader to terrible leader and he really has like this moral center throughout this the entire show so he's a fantastic character fantastic actor he's fantastic in this film i keep saying fantastic 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 uh but he does an amazing job in this in this movie i've never seen him in anything other than game of thrones oh cool so it was very cool to see him as this very cool long coat wearing cigarette smoking matchstick street magic flinging guy who uh probably is a lot more than that and dropping the prophecies left right and yeah center, while the bodies do the same yeah i think that uh game of thrones fan knowing what i know of game of thrones it is quite harrowing at times yeah. they if they were looking back at other actors work and stumbled upon this they wouldn't be shocked out of their shit yeah, no, they wouldn't. I mean, I mean, Game of Thrones is a, a fucking violent show. Yeah. So uh, if you like that, you'll definitely like this. I mean, he does a great job, and we know that there's something otherworldly. Not only is he heralded by the murder of crows, but also it seems as though Caesar has hit nothing. There is no body, and they both saw man. Rachel is the police officer played by Pollyanna McIntosh, and. Coming from a, a horror point of view, the Lucky McKee and Jack Ketchum story, The Woman, mm. she had starred in that as the titular woman. And she had also been in Offspring, the film that the film that is an unofficial uh, prequel to that film as well, and an official prequel in, in book form. So seeing her in, in this sort of role really fits very well when we get to hear a little bit more of the background of Rachel, the character of this cop. And the the background that some cops seem to know and she wanted to keep secret. She encounters Caesar just after hitting this person. She saw the guy he hit with the car. He saw the guy he hit with the car. By the time they stop the car and she has him in cuffs, there's no body. So, yeah, kind of otherworldly. Otherworldly. And this kid has been slamming booze. He's driving recklessly. He says when he jumps out of the car... Oh, God, not again. Which we understand right away that he's hit somebody with his car before. Yeah. I don't think we realize yet. How soon uh, it is, but uh, he's had quite the night, and he ends up in this jail cell. And I almost thought when I first saw, because this is a first watch for me, I had never seen this film before, and you'd shown me the trailer uh, a couple months ago. Yeah. When we were, but I don't, I didn't remember it. Um, I certainly misinterpreted what this film was going to be. I thought it was about a guy who had a bunch of people imprisoned in a house or something. Yeah, it's just a bunch of flashes of violence and a cool soundtrack for the trailer. It doesn't really tell you much. Yeah, yeah. So when they enter this precinct, I think 
that there's no one else there, like literally no one else there. And I was like, oh, it's going to be one of those films. It's going to be like The Void where you're in a, a this huge hospital, but because it's a small budgeted film, like there's only five or six people in this entire place. And well, it's late and or like Halloween too, where there's like fucking four people in this whole hospital. doesn't even seem to be patients. I sort of, I sort of like movies like that, not only because it keeps you from being distracted and it keeps you zeroed in on what's going on because there's not a lot of foot traffic. Like mm-hmm. you said, um, but and it does seem like a play. You had mentioned that while we we're watching that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is. There's only very few acts, and there's only very few scenes, and there's only very few locations that they go to. Mm-hmm. Very few outside of the house, and only for brief moments. And those are things that could have been told to the audience, other than shown. Really, uh, I do like it when they leave the premise because. We get to see some of the really horrible things going on in this town. Mm. We still don't see a lot of other people no. in this town, though. And I like that, not just because it keeps that cast very tight and very small and easy for us to relay on the show, but I just seem to gravitate to films like that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's not even just that there's no, there's not many characters in this film. Well, there are, but... Uh, but it's also the way that they light certain scenes where there's almost spotlights on actors so intense that there's they may as well be standing on an empty stage yeah. doing almost like a one-man show with only uh, perhaps some things, shapes around them to suggest a set, to suggest an environment. But it's really just actors in a nearly empty space acting. And it's a pretty bleak space at that, so even if it were more brightly lit. I mean, I think of the film Funny Games as far as a very Mm. cloistered set, right? Where there's not a lot going on, but there's lots to see and everything's very brightly lit. Uncomfortably brightly lit, I find, in Mm. Funny Games. But then on the other end of the spectrum, which is an even smaller set, an even smaller cast, an even smaller set and yet smaller cast is Death and the Maiden, where things are very dark and there's not a lot to see in that house where that, that film takes place. And people are spotlit when they're speaking very much like a play. And I enjoy that so much because we have a really good cast of actors. Even, like, I don't know who the kid is that plays Caesar. This Brian mm. Vernal. They he was in Star Wars. Star he was in one of the new Star Wars films. Yeah. What? Well. Look at you go. <laughs> good job, kid. Yeah. Uh, but he's a great actor. He's a, yeah. he's a really great actor. And he's one of the smaller roles in this. He is. Yeah. He really does a great job, particularly once he realizes that he's not, uh, probably not in trouble because there's no body. He hasn't hit anybody. Uh, he thought he did, but there's no one there. He really falls into this character of just Irish punk kid. Yeah. That's, yeah. it's really like a person who is known to police, uh, who's been arrested, numerous times and uh yeah one of the themes that is repeated through this film is no victim no crime and that sort of sums up how this police station operates they're all really reprehensible individuals they're all very violent horrible psychopaths quite honestly but they seem to get away with all sorts of crazy fucking shit, let alone the people in the town, the very few that we meet. We meet a school teacher, Beswick, who is accused by Caesar of diddling children, but it turns out he's just a common wife beater, and yeah. we get to see photos of what the damage he's done to his wife, and this is a recurring 
theme apparently in this guy's life he ends up in jail because he's beat up his wife and in the morning she forgives him and drops the charges this seems to be going on over and over uh we meet dr hume who i don't think has a history known to the police like caesar and baswick do but hume his fucking crimes become quite spotlit yeah, really. He is brought to this place because when there is a, when they're booked Caesar, uh, all of a sudden the mysterious six sh- does show up and he has a wound on his head. Uh, he was picked up by the police officers, the other two members of our precinct, uh, who I guess are having an affair. Mundy and Warnock, yeah. And it seems to be like known among their other friends, like the Sergeant McGrady. Or McReady? McReady. 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 That is a man of action. <laughs> He's definitely a man of, of fucked up actions. He is a man of fucked up actions. Um, yeah, they're, they're screwing in their cruiser and their partners on the force. And... I guess That's he's married and has kids or whatever, but yeah. everyone else seems to know that they're banging. But yeah, and it's weird because once you're introduced to a bunch of these characters, and everyone seems to be fucked up. But what, this doctor, the crazy thing is, is it really brings in the question of fate because Six shows up and he's injured, uh, even though we'll learn that what injury, like what, it like, he has a bump on his head and it doesn't matter anyway. Yeah, so we get introduced to this doctor who shows up and instantaneously there is this aura that hits the doctor this sense and he without words he knows that six knows something and whatever he knows is so horrible is so damning that this doctor who just showed up to check on this guy is trying to literally kill him in front of four police officers they have no real choice but to cuff him and put him away. And we, we, I don't know, maybe we're used to creepy individuals doing street magic and wearing long jackets and <laughs> spouting prophecy that it doesn't really strike us as odd. And he hasn't come within two feet of us to know all of our deepest, darkest. And we mm-hmm. don't have deepest, darkest quite like these fucking people do. Mm-hmm. But the doctor has said he knows. And that was what precluded his uh, outburst and got him thrown in a, in a jail cell alongside caesar and this teacher the teacher has a moment later on where he says he knows with when he comes within two feet of six the sergeant mcready has a very very brief interaction with him but we're treated to these flashes of we don't really know at first that it's what these people have done and there's a lot of like dead bodies beaten up people missing posters we walk by these missing posters of young gentlemen over and over and it's hard i i'm sure a casual viewer could be confused by this when i when i was first watching it i did i watched enough film in my entire life that i know that if they're showing you this wall over and over again and they're lingering on this wall that means something they're telling you that you are going to learn why this town has a wall of missing children, missing young boys. It's mostly missing young boys. Um, you are going to find out uh, what every person has done. We know that the film starts off not only with this slow motion crow stuff, but uh, we know that Rachel wakes up to a nightmare uh, of, uh, of a dirty young girl who's been bound. And so we think, oh, okay, is this... 
is this something that she has done or is this a uh, past? We don't know, but we know something's up with that. And also we learn early on that Caesar also has committed a hit and run before he hit six. So there's all this information. I will say that even though they tell you that everyone is probably guilty of something, the level of the things that they're guilty of is genuinely surprising. Now, when I hadn't seen this film until today, I had thought that perhaps Six was some kind of entity that was implanting this in... Like making everyone crazy. Like making everyone crazy. Because, but that being said, I thought that Six was making everyone crazy. I thought that he had some aura about him or some otherworldly power that was getting either implanting negative shit into people's minds or bringing it forward because I was having a hard time I was thinking reconciling with the fact that like all of them have done something crazy what are the chances and then you realize oh this was destined to be they all were destined to be in one place at one time um and it was the level of the things that they have committed straight up atrocities. Now, it's sort of like it's not as Rube Goldberg as a Saw film, but it mm. reminds me a lot of a Saw film in that way. Although, like you say, the level of the atrocities they've committed is far beyond like, oh, you didn't bring forth that second will that your grandma wrote, so you're going to go have to go through this machine. Yeah. It's way bigger than that. It's, it's not petty theft. It's not white-collar crime. It's not dishonesty. I mean, mm-hmm. it is dishonesty, but my God, we are talking about... We are talking about mind hunter levels of serial killers. Yeah, a crazy, crazy... Uh, serial killers and rampant serial killers or people who have snapped and are uh, family annihilators. I know that's a big buzzword in the true crime world right now. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, representations of a lot of these people. That or the person who has killed somebody and not said a word and drove away. The hit and run situation mm-hmm. doesn't make which, Caesar a monster by any Which is means. fucking funny because a hit and run, which is a heinous crime, is... The least and most forgivable thing that has happened. No, exactly. And I mean, we have a, a guy that's that's beat on his wife. Beat lot. on his wife, yeah. but and and it's this cycle of abuse where he beats his wife and beats his wife, and then she gets him arrested, and then she drops the charges the next day. I mean, but Mac Reddy has fucking bodies in the freezer pieces of bodies in the freezer and has killed numerous times according to this wall of missing men posters yeah like it's it's crazy and it ramps up from this like kind of sleepy beginning where you're like oh this is a woman who either is getting a psychic premonition of a girl that's being abused or has been abused herself and she's on her way to work finds this hit and run apparent hit and run and then the piece, puzzle pieces start to fall into place and the hit and run victim comes forward. And we have an inkling that this kid has done a hit and run before. So it's kind of sleepy. And we got these two cops that are fucking and they're a little bit abrasive. Everyone's a little bit abrasive. Yeah. And it's her first night on the job. And then she's left in the precinct alone with these people. There's another one. Last shift is very similar to this. Mm. It goes in a completely different direction. Um, but it is like 
a, a woman cop first night on the job in a basically an abandoned precinct. Last Shift is not a good film. This is, I think, fantastic because from here on, we're treated to all of these horrible things these people have done in quite graphic detail. It becomes apparent with our school teacher that what Six is there to do is to monologue people to death. (laughs) (laughs) He He is there to not only enact revenge on these reprehensible people, but also to get them to understand why they're doing it in a way. Like he really wants them. Well, at least most of them. He really, if you were sat there and talked to him, you were talking about a person that knows your deepest, darkest secrets and is trying to get you to figure out why you're this way. Um, And not in a sympathetic way whatsoever. It's very much in you can hide from yourself but you can't hide from me. I will pull the truth out of you. Especially with the school teacher, yeah. which seems like one of the lesser charges aside from the hit and run and battered beating his wife. Um, he just talks him into confessing why he's doing this, probably mm-hmm. for the first time ever reconciling it within himself. Mm-hmm. And it drives him to beat himself senseless, not mm-hmm. quite to death, but senseless on the bars of his jail cell. Yeah, and he does so once Six is asking him, why do you do this? Why do you do this? And bringing out his aggression and rage, uh, he had said that, you know, I've never met a, a, a spouse abuser who wasn't trying to hurt somebody else by hurting this person that they supposedly love. And he asks him to tell, who are you really mad at? And he feels as though he's onto something, but then this teacher just goes to Caesar, who's one of his students, and says, it's you fucking kids. And Six is like, nope, that's wrong. And that's when the vengeance is on it. So I almost felt like he was he maybe was giving him a chance or an out, or or you could come to some sort of uh, uh epiphany, but you are just admired in your own bullshit, blaming other people. And so that violence that he felt towards Caesar in that moment was him almost like an animal trying to get out of this cage and banging his head against it. Um, the doctor um, that we don't know what he's done offers to leave the cell and help. And that's when Monday and Warnick, the two cops that are fucking, who have been sent to this guy's house to kind of figure out what the fuck, maybe there's something that he's Why he snapped to go talk to his wife. Go talk to his wife. Good luck luck with that, because his wife is hanging from the ceiling. Yep, and his kids are dead. Yeah, saw the top of his son's head off. Lovely. And we get... snapshots of all of this yeah. and it's quite bloody and it's it's lit very um, atmospherically i really enjoy this but it's happening with pretty fun filmmaking here um they had been on the radio with rachel being like hey we're going into him's house there's no one here oh my god oh my god he's done this blah blah, blah. meanwhile she's downstairs dealing with the guy that has been beating his head in and letting the doctor who's committed these crimes at his house that she doesn't even know about yet while we're being told as the audience what he's done and being shown what he's done through the flashes of his dead children and wife and the radio going off, which reminds me of like a video game or something. It's got kind of a video game ethic of storytelling here, I think. Mm. Um, It does in that sense. When 
this is when our, our doctor basically totally snaps in and realizes that he's probably going to have to try to get away uh, now that he's been freed from the cell. So he's going to try to kill this police officer. But I mean, she's got a billy club. She's a trained police officer, so he doesn't really get very far. Yeah. No. And then he gets arrested again, rearrested, I suppose, and then put in. Uh, this, by the way, is also as Rachel is trying to discern who Six might be because they've taken his fing- fingerprint analysis, uh, matches a dude that was 79 years old and has been dead for a long time. Yeah, since 1973, died in a fire. Yeah. And McCready chalks it up to like, that's technology failing us yet again. Yeah. But I mean, we're in the know here. We know he's probably had to live in a body to be here on earth this way so probably that guy's name's probably in his book somewhere we're just guessing we don't know much about this book and the names in it so rachel takes some time and some sleuthing a little bit of cop work here by taking the book and feeding the names into interpol finding they're all deceased usually murderers yeah yeah with serial killers with fun little names like the acid bath killer and shit and the whale. The whale. Whatever that <laughs> what fucking, the fucking whale did. Fucking... We have an idea what the acid bath killer did. Yeah, the acid. I, I need those descriptors. If you have a serial killer nickname, I need to know, like Boston Strangler. Like I need to that know. Helps. The, yeah. Yeah. But it's like the whale. I was like, did he swallow people? He drowned people. Is that what he did? Um, swallow people. Whole. Well, that's what I thought. He'd be like, "You're all Jonah." <laughs> that's being, what I thought. If we're being religious, I just uh, thought he could drown people, but. The okay. whale. The whale. Yeah, maybe he carved little blowholes into their heads. Maybe he was a gigantic man and he smothered them by sitting on them. <laughs> maybe he just uh, ate a lot of kelp. He could, <laughs> sifting it through his teeth, the baleen. Yeah, baleen teeth. That would be great. That's a horrible serial killer, though. I like the acid bath killer. But these are all dead. So these are the names that are in Six's book. And we're only calling him Six because he's in the sixth cell. Yeah. This he is has like, no name. Yeah, he could be fucking, like, have a Death Note for all we know. Cause <laughs> it reminds me slightly of Death Note, I yeah. will admit. Which is cool. Death Note's a cool thing to be reminded of. Uh, but after that, this police officer, uh, after Rachel, excuse me, tosses this... A doctor back into the fucking pen. Our school teacher's dead. Uh, McReady is fucking off the fucking walls, man. He has. We we know that he has left, and what he's doing is he's getting rid of evidence. He's got trash bags. He's got body parts. Oh, his and fridge is. Oh my god. Chuck full of fucking limbs. Body parts, heads, hands, and bloody and gory. It is like way beyond Jeffrey Dahmer, what we would find in his apartment. Yeah. yeah. And it's not, it's not neat. There's no like, it, it, it's, it is a fucking mess. This definitely makes me think, well, it's like, if that's his body fridge, where's his food fridge? You got to have food somewhere. And he's pretty repped. So he must be chugging protein. He's probably got a whey protein canister on his ca- counter and that's it. Yeah. That he just like eats the powder that's every blood day. Blood stained. It's of course, like God, it's it seems that he has a still living victim in his house, along with all these body parts and mm-hmm. probably this legacy of dead young gentlemen. And he's beating on this young man, screaming, who did you tell? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And he ends up killing that one, too. So he's got all these bodies to dispose. Um, 
we uh, like the, everyone at the police station understands that he's just going out to follow up on a few loose ends. <laughs> so they're trying to contact him via cell phone during this. Specifically, Rachel trying to contact him via cell phone through all this because she's having a hell of a night. Man, is she ever. You know those two cops that were fucking and you would think, is this going to be that puritanical? Is it because it's like they're committing adultery or something like that? Oh, no. They've got some skeletons in their closet for real. fuck. They, it is beyond police brutality. They straight up fucking kill, they fucking straight up fucking kill uh, prisoners. And maybe just one, but they really killed them. They do. They they show a few flashbacks of them beating on people, and it's hard to discern if they're the same because they seem to have an interrogation room that they like to do this in. So it could be multiple prisoners. Considering who we're dealing with here, it probably is. But there's one specific case that keeps coming back mm-hmm. where they took turns beating on this person, and they get off on it, which yeah, is doubly really, gross. They really, really like it. And they, uh, the, the shot of them breaking that guy's neck with his shirt was really good. Yeah. Uh, really effective. You could see the neck stretching in such a gross way and I was like ooh that's very effective if they might have just tweaked that with CG or just found someone with a long neck I don't know it's it's really hard to say but mm-hmm. I, I but I definitely feel like there was some sort of CGI manipulation but uh, maybe not maybe it was just a good practical but it looked like there was no doubt it wasn't you know, in Hollywood where the guy just sort of like tilts his head to the side and they add like a, a quirk and it's like, oh, his neck got broken. It's like, no, that guy's neck got stretched beyond what a human neck is supposed to look like. As it would. And it is a little bit blood curdling. And yeah. there's quite a few of the injuries in this. They do achieve that. There's a few cutaways as far as the gore goes, but there are a lot of physical gags that are pulled off brilliantly, I think. Mm. And they're quite gory and, and from time to time quite blood curdling. Depends on what your what your flavor of discomfort is. I think so. I think that I wouldn't really describe this movie as violent because or gory because usually when I say things like that, I kind of mean it's like every five minutes there's something. Yeah. But I will say that the 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 violence is depicted as realistically as humanly possible. If you were to take, um a battering ram and hit someone in the face with it, the the the, the concave effect is what would happen to a, a man's face if you were to do that to them. It's like they went through the color atlas of forensic pathology and plucked out the end result for their, their gore effects. Yeah. Now, this doctor is not long for this world because when these cops get back, they, they seem to be really fixated on the fact that... Um, Warnick has kids that age. I always hear about parents talking about that shit when when other children die or are kidnapped. It's not enough that that's just horrible. The only way that they seem to be able to frame it is my son's that age. Selfish bastards. Self-centered. Well, it's, it's weird to me. I know. It's, it's weird to me. It's like when violence happens to women and and a guy's like, I have a daughter. I'm like, so that's why you care? That's It's fucking weird to me. Especially when it comes to people who don't have children or don't have kids or children. Aren't a woman or whatever, like that can feel that, and then someone else will turn to them and be like, "Yeah, well, you don't have kids." Like, it's like you're right. That must mean that I'm a, a soulless monster that can't have empathy for anybody. Exactly. So, um, but that seems to be what they lean on, and and I'm sure breeder sheep 
that watch this will be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm pretty sure that if Warnock didn't have children at all, he still would have beat this guy just for th- thrills or to get it up. Yeah, I like this idea of Monday trying to figure out what the doctor was trying to do. And he does, again, this is what's so vertigo comic booky about it is it's not enough that this guy is just a, a frothing serial killer. He tells you his weird philosophy in a monologue about religion versus science and the search for immortality and and i'm just like holy fuck like 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 it it reminded me a little a little bit about um the metal gear solid video games where every time you beat a boss in that game there was the villain wouldn't just die he would give you his why i became a villain speech (laughs) and then and then after his long like psycho mantis is sitting there bleeding on the floor telling you why he became psycho mantis and how he was really a tortured soul and and all this uh sympathetic music is playing and then he's like by the way here's your six level key card to get to the next area but (laughs) pretty much and i enjoy this so much better than something like saw where you're being fed through the person who's inflicting the torture on these hapless people who aren't that guilty of things like this. That's why I enjoy it so much more than something like Saw. And I'm I'm not blaming Saw. I like Saw, of course. But it gets a little bit tired when you've got these people that are inflicting the torture on the supposed victim who have committed some sort of crime, be it petty or not. And we're being told by them what that person did while they just shake with fear and say, no, 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 or whatever, before they get their head ripped in half. We're getting these stories from the people who committed the crimes for the most part. And I I really like that. Even though like the guy that plays Hume has got quite a face, like he could be a a great serial killer in any other story. He would have made a really great, uh, shooing for Anthony Perkins, I think. Yeah. He, he fills that role really well. So to hear him tell his maniacal sort of reanimator sort of version of events or why he killed his entire family yeah. is unsettling and it, it does its job. Yeah. After his speech, the only thing Monday really has to say to him is, is you sawed the top of your son's head off. I mean, I like that punctuation of just really saying you can, you can, add whatever artifice around yeah, you can sugarcoat this killing exactly but at the end of the day you took uh, a saw and you sawed the top of your son's head off and i like the i like i like with quotation marks around right. it the uh visuals of that because you've got his son in his little lord fontelroy best ready for <laughs> finishing school <laughs> Sitting in a chair that probably cost $800. No, Daddy. I don't want my head cut off, Daddy. Pretty much. (laughs) Mommy, Dad's cutting my head off. (laughs) (laughs) We were supposed to ride the ponies today, Daddy. That would drive anyone to murder. (laughs) But it's it's kind of a decadent scene and very comic booky. That's what I keep... That's how come I keep going back to that. Like, it really feels like... It could have been a, a sort of graphic novel. You've like got that. that via V, something like McGrady, getting McGrady with all of his body parts in his fridge. You know, that's yeah. something straight out of a whole different sort of horror, right? Oh, yeah. Especially, especially towards the end, it just becomes fucking crossbearer. Yeah. It's great with him <laughs> wrapped up in barbed wire and shirtless and like got this big shotgun to come and finish yeah. the job. Like, wow. Yeah. 
you really you really uh, got to end big, which is crazy to me because the the rest of the, the rest of the film really ramps up to a level where it could be a fucking comic book, but our doctor is going to get uh, police brutality to death. Not in any way that you might suspect. Oh yeah. He's not just beat with billet clubs. No, he gets his eye impaled by the bottom of a table. (laughs) Yeah. A table leg. That's probably about two and a half inches square. Yeah. I like this, this uh, line that he gives to the cop. It's just like, do it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. It's, it's both defiant and also has a lot of resolve where Perhaps Monday saying that you saw the top of your son's head off and he looks down after she says that line. Perhaps a bit of the his bubble has been burst. And in that moment, he's not the frothing killer that he was with Rachel upstairs. And he is not the uh, grand orator of his uh, crimes that he was in the interrogation room. He's just a dude that saw the top of his son's head <laughs> off. Yeah, and that's we got Monday doing the work of six right now because he's still downstairs in a jail cell beside Caesar. Right? Yeah, so he's he's sort of busy downstairs right now while they're doing this. Um, Rachel's already been privy to the idea that these two have killed prisoners before and they're going to peg it on her and they make no bones about it they're like yeah the new girl we have sort of a policy here of no victim no crime i don't know if they are initially going to kill her but rachel definitely came off instantaneously as you know when you're smoking pot with your friends and there's one person that's not smoking and they definitely are acting like a narc real quick yeah. it's that type of attitude like you're gonna be cool you're gonna be cool are you cool are you cool or are you not cool well all and she had to do is say what she said when they said we have to get our story straight and she's like what do you mean get our story straight yeah right away there she's the narc in the room right? yeah she's definitely the narc you're just like yeah it's like woof. i would just been like crazy that guy just fell all on his own right on that freaking stool yeah now it goes from this was a horrible accident to we're gonna peg it on you if you don't play along <laughs> <laughs> and they very well could. And then they pull out their ace in the hole, Wes. What's that? You're that little girl that got away from that horrible rapist. Yeah. Never told your parents. Like, now what? You're a cop? You're going to take it out on prisoners? There's a lot of fucking dead bodies here tonight. Yeah. And they and have a point. They do have a point. Um, it's crazy that they just all know that. If she didn't even tell her parents, how does everyone know? It's in her dossier. She went to a psychologist. Uh, um, yeah. So we do know that about Rachel. She was she was kidnapped. It's like one of those, again, like more, the only characters you meet here are just fucking awful. We meet this weird dude from her past who's like all those other stories that you hear about, like, you know, the little girl in some fucking guy's basement for who knows how long just getting strangled and raped over and over again. Uh... She eventually, miraculously, breaks her binds, gets out of the house, and grows up and becomes a police officer, an instrument of justice to help people, probably. And Which is a wonderful arc, a wonderful trajectory for this girl, too. And I really like the acting between uh, when she's having flashbacks. It, it fits very well. The young girl they cast as young Rachel... Mm-hmm. fits very well and this is where i fell in love with the soundtrack by steve lynch not steve lynch of Dawkins, 
mm. of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Yeah, I was like, we're not, we're not yeah. dream warriors here. No, Nightmare Warriors yeah. of Justice in Justice blue. Warriors. Well, they don't really wear blue in Scotland. I guess they're kind no. of black and white. It's like black, yeah. yeah. It's like the checkered. Yeah. Well, they call them the boys in checks. Checks, maybe. But either way, um, I really like the scene of her escape. It's quite beautiful really mm. and it's one of the few scenes that aren't shrouded in shadow mm. and lit by emergency lighting in the basement of a police station mm-hmm. so that maybe helps but it is like a shot in a lot of slow-mo here and there it's just really really beautiful and mm. really uh kind of jarring for the central portion of this film where they have a fuller retelling of that you know old caesar he's feeling Mighty guilty. He's got an idea about who Six is, at the very least, what Six is there to do. Yeah. And he knows that Six knows that there is uh, one of his uh, classmates bloodied in a ditch. Which is so interesting. Like, there are some parlor tricks pulled by Six here and there through this film. You'd alluded to it as street magic. But he does uh, strange things with matches. He's... Um, had a matchbox appear probably from McCready's pocket stolen from Caesar. Mm -hmm. But he's had this match appear in his hand because he crushes a feather in his hand, open his hand up. He has a matchbox and it has a certain amount of matches in it. And he's fiddling with these matches or lighting these matches or driving them through his hand. uh, And just strange things with these matches, but he's been fiddling with one and talking to Caesar and letting Caesar know what we piece together is the reason why he's not part and parcel of the violence that is going on in this precinct this evening is the girl that is in the ditch is still alive. Mm. It is Caesar's chance at redemption. He could come clean and they could save this girl and he wouldn't be damned with everyone else. I think it takes Caesar a little bit to get over the, how do you even know that Mm -hmm. to wanting to confess yeah. So when she's downstairs and or Rachel's not just she, when Rachel is downstairs and Six is there and Caesar finally feels like he should come clean, oh wow, well, she died two minutes ago. So his fate's sealed. How would you know that is the next line, of <laughs> course, like because knows. we're right back to like how do yeah. you how does he know that? He knows everything. Like Caesar's just like he knows everything. They question him many times as to who he is. He gives no answer. No. Uh, he's he's not concerned at all with he's not concerned like he's not a person that is concerned that he's being confined he's not a person that's intimidated by anyone there like this is a this is a a, a world weary ancient thing and he's just basically waiting till midnight where all of this plays out yeah and it is very doomsday right the doomsday clock like you are like four minutes to midnight type thing right and again like it's it's really it's so comic book it's like reminding me of Watchmen and all that type of shit like there's all these images of time and and again mysticism and like like hardcore uh Roman Catholic uh preaching and mm-hmm. again poetry it's just like I said very frilled cuff it's interesting um which is why this film in my opinion really demands you to hyperanalyze it like it's, it does and we need an Enochian scholar is what we need yeah. and and a um a card-carrying demonologist to help yeah. us out in, in, yeah. in figuring out every parable. But it's 
fun. It's definitely fun. I, I think that you don't have to hyperanalyze the movie if you don't want to. I think you might be a little confused by the ending if you, if you kind of are taking everything as a face value. Oh, yeah. It's certainly not a uh, what people call a popcorn film. No. Uh, no matter what, he, uh, lets every lets her know, lets Rachel know via the phone um, that... Uh, He's on his way. He's all now, wrapped up here. He's all wrapped up here. He's on his way back. No pun intended. <laughs> he, uh, uh, Six will also let Rachel know that she is not the same as everyone else here. She has been to hell and come back from it. And that perspective gives her an edge over everyone else. Also that she has not... She is not damned with the rest of them. And she is stubborn because she wants to still save people who are here and reason with people who are here. He informs her that the two police officers upstairs are now plotting her demise. Mm -hmm. This kind of brings, this is the beginning of a sequence that I absolutely find fascinating uh, in this entire film because it basically descends into... Now Rachel is has to fight for her life for these two cops until Mac Reddy shows up, ready for action. He is so ready for action. And if we, we had an idea, because we see him saying, yeah, I'm on my way back to the precinct. You know, be there in 10, loading a shotgun and covered in blood and wrapped up in barbed wire. They don't know what he looks like right now. Yeah. And what he's been up to. What his frame of mind is. We have an idea. They're plotting her demise. She's had a conversation with them while she's on the phone with McGrady, while he's saying he's on his way. And she just leaves her cell phone tuned in so he can hear. And they jokingly call him old and they don't hide the fact that they're going to kill her. And McGrady can hear this on the phone. So when he shows up, ready to kick everyone's ass. Back ready to kill. One of his lines is, which one of you fuckers called me old? And it's, you know, you're, you're too wrapped up in it to laugh, but it is funny. It is very funny. Warnick gets buckshot in his throat and then gets his dick shot off, I guess. That's what you get, I guess. That's what he gets. Um, he's very, uh, McReady is a very sexually oriented killer, it seems like. You know, not only was he eyeing Caesar up and down when he was almost in a trance looking at this teen boy changing out of his clothes. Kind of sick. Uh, he has, it seems like a lot of this um, shit started with sex, like uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. And uh, has, yeah, maybe it is a closeted aspect to this. That yeah. could be it. Um, whether his needs from these young men were purely sexual and it escalated to murder, or if murder was the name of the game all along with him, it's really hard to tell. But he it, does have conversations at the very beginning that set him off uh, conversations with Six about they're both good Christian boys. Yeah. And Six says, you're a little more Old Testament, aren't you? Yeah. Okay, we have an idea of what that means. Mm -hmm. So whether he is shooting off his former constable's penis off because he's, you know, it's some sort of statement about his closeted homosexuality that leads to murder, or if it's a statement about you adulterous bastard, Mm. you know, it could be really be taken either way at that point. Yeah, it's very true. That could be it as well. Um, this is where it becomes like Crossbear. This is where it becomes like a fucking slasher movie. Uh, you know, Six is still down in the cell, as is Caesar. 
And it has basically come to the point in which now what's so fascinating to me is Monday, who literally was just trying to kill Rachel, is now has to team up with her to survive. And this was after a, a, a very high tense speech when things were still kind of normal around the precinct where she was saying, don't do this. Don't get, I, it's like, I'm not your friend just because we're two women. We're not two girls in this together. Like, fuck off. I'm not interested. They will end up the two girls in this together because everyone else is dead. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> Which I think is hilarious. True. You know that she's still not long for this world because she's not really doing it. She's not very proactive. She's very reactionary, Monday is, at this point. And we know what Monday's done and is capable of. So we know yeah. that that's what happens to people this night in the presence of six in this precinct. They die. Yeah. So we know she's going to get it one way or the other. And it's just a matter of when at this point. Because they're, you know, chased around the upstairs by McCready in a gun. And then they lock themselves behind the door that leads down toward all the cells. And he has a battering ram so he can get through there. And they mm-hmm. have to go down to the next floor, which is in the cells. And they lock themselves in there. And then he's spreading gasoline all over the place. It's not a bad idea. It, it's like Beats trying to like knock down the door. They're just like, eh, I guess, uh, guess I'll just burn the whole place down. That's a way to go. Yeah, it is a way to go. But he has a feeling that they're pretty tough. I guess he's worked with Monday long enough to know that she can get herself out of a jam, whether it's by killing all of the fucking prisoners or not. Um, Mm -hmm. But it is Rachel that helps him because she's a survivor. And Six has some words with her with like, just let him go, man. You're not part of this. You'll be fine. Me and you. Cool. Yeah, you'll be fine. But she is determined. Again, she hasn't lost that sense of wanting to do good. That's what she had learned from her harrowing experience as a child. It wasn't that she wanted to seek revenge on the people that would do evil. It was she was going to make meaning out of this and she was going to be a hero in all of this and she was going to uh, change the world by being a law enforcement officer. But then she's struck with this fact that the three law enforcement officers that she just got saddled with are the fucking worst people ever. And one of them is just as bad as the person that she escaped from. Yeah. And so now she's wearing the uniform that seems a little bit like a farce, but she's still going to do it. And they have like that cool uh, trick with the blankets and they're going to try to like run through the fire and get out of there. So it's, McReady versus Monday versus Rachel versus Caesar. Yeah, poor Caesar. Poor Caesar. Uh, <laughs> I like that they foreshadow the use of the foot polish machine. Which At the they, very beginning, yeah, Caesar yeah. pukes on Rachel's shoes when like he's that. first arrested, and she uses the shoe shine machine. You ever get your? You ever use one of those? I've never used my shoe shine machine. I used one. I've used a couple of them. Uh, one time, though, I had just bought a pair of boots, and I went walking through the mall, and it was awfully dusty in the mall, and there was a bunch of that gray dust that mm. you get out in the wild. And mm. I thought, well, I'll just pop into this place and give my boots a little shine. And the machine grabbed and pulled in my, my boot and made a big gouge along the toe, um, where I read, and like, being an asshole, I went back to the store and was like, yeah, these shoes are damaged. Got them replaced. <laughs> Hey, man, it was either that or fucking sue the shoeshine place. God. (laughs) Well, that's... that's, uh, They are violent little machines, almost as terrifying as escalators. (laughs) Yeah, I know your thing with the escalators. Um, 
Yes. So Caesar gets half of his face uh, shorn right off, but he ends up just getting shotgun blasted. Monday falls neck first into a busted window. Yeah, Caesar tried throwing a chair out the window to like get an avenue of escape past McGrady and a shotgun, and Monday slipped and fell, I guess. Yeah. Do you get a sense McGrady is knows that he's going to die that night? Because he doesn't really seem to be not trying to burn. He doesn't really seem to be trying to protect himself in any way. And also, there's no conceivable way that anyone will... How do you get out of this one, you idiot? Look at you. Yeah. You, you look fucking insane. You're covered in barbed wire. Every one of the precinct... What are you supposed to say? Oh, a fire started in the precinct and everyone died and then I fell in some barbed wire. This is the child murdering psychopath version of suicide by cop when you are a cop. Yeah. These are the kind of levels you need to take it to, I guess. Well, he doesn't get the drop on old Rachel. She fucks him up. Yep. Yeah. That's a great shot of his head getting caved in. No, it is. And it's one of the, you know, they don't linger on the the gore in this at Mm -hmm. all. It's just all very matter of fact and all very forensic. And yeah, she kills his ass. Very gooey. And it is nice that it is a similar parallel to the sort of person that had made her who she is today by kidnapping and raping her for God knows how long. He is that exact same sort of person. So it works out very well for her to get retribution. I don't think she looked for, because I think that when she was a young girl and tied up, uh, I don't know if she wished for her death, for the death of her captor, for just simple freedom and forgiveness. What do you think she wished for there? Because they do have a conversation about that, her and six moments after, and the steps of the flaming precinct. They do. This is where what Six is asking her is a sl- is slightly ambiguous. He said, she s- says that um, he's not like him, that she didn't want the things that he was talking about. Six has a conversation with her earlier in the film in which he talked about this idea of looking at the sins of humanity and being expected to not become involved in that and to allow humans to not only commit atrocities on each other, but also to allow them to get away with that for as long as fate would decree when he felt that he had power to stop this, to of, of uh, the power to take revenge for people who have died. And that is what cast him out, wanting to become involved directly in humans' lives, which goes into what I think Six is. Mm -hmm. But this question about what she asked for. What she begged for. I think it was revenge. You think it was revenge? I think in in the peak of her fear... And desperation, what she asked for in that moment was the power to take revenge for herself. And I think this idea about goodness and this idea of due process and this idea of maintaining society and letting justice come to those who uh, have sinned, who have committed atrocities, who have killed, 
and uh, worse. Uh, I think the idea of that washed away when she found herself involved in a system that was just full of the same people. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, even someone like Caesar would only have confessed if his life were on the line. Uh, and he knew that, and that's why he confessed. Um, you know, when Six is erasing these people's bodies, having them sucked up by this black tar. Which is a very fun scene. He talks about people's anger and people's selfishness and their fear to not be able to make the right decisions and, and all that type of shit. As each one of these people are sort of consumed by this. Um, Which is, I guess, the pictorial representation of him claiming their souls. Yeah, adding them to the murder, I suppose. Because uh, he's like, as he's like crossing their names off his book as he's as he's doing this. So I do think that what he is asking for her and they seal it with a kiss is for her to join him on this journey of vengeance. It's all the phraseology used here that almost uh, simplifies it all into oh, he's death slash Satan and they're going to live in hell and he's, she's his bride now and all they do is just collect souls right Mm -hmm. but it's so much deeper than that Mm -hmm. like what she specifically wished for what rachel specifically asked for has a lot to do with who six is Mm. i think and it's really hard to peg because it's not canon from a biblical point of view no who is it that we figured out that this wonderful man is i am assuming he is an archangel I'm assuming he is uh, Regal, who was the sixth archangel. Makes a lot of sense. He was archangel of justice. And um, I'm not going to say vengeance, but basically that idea of um, retribution. If there was a patron saint of little girls tied up in rapists addicts, this would be the guy. Yeah. It seemed to be the one that that was best associated with that archangel. That being said... That is not a fallen. So to say that he was ousted because of this um, or because of his philosophy would change the canon of what's understood about the archangels themselves. You could say that um, you could you could toss out Michael. You could toss out Azrael. You could toss out a lot of like... Sort or of, There's a lesser known one that had yes. fallen among the seven. Mm-hmm. You could talk. You could talk uh, about these archangels, but I think that would be the the association with crows, though, kind of trips me up because it could be different. Yeah. But like, um, I um, that's what I definitely was getting. We both kind of agreed that it's likely not Lucifer or any derivation of that because the the mission doesn't make any sense he's talking about justice and he's talking about revenge and he's talking about saving people by destroying the evil that was never the credence of of lucifer that was about lucifer was about freedom freedom of choice freedom of rule from god and also the the uh, jealousy of humans because god's love was over the angels. Yeah, the who, amount of time he would be spending walking the earth too. Has, ex- that's the other thing. Like, like um, the fact that six is on earth at all. It doesn't make any sense why that would be the devil. Yeah. 
Um, so that's what I believe because he seems totally independent. He seems to be doing his own thing. I really enjoy the names in his book because uh, at the end of the film, while he's crossing those names off, it's like, well, shit, man, if she would have just spent a little more time flipping through the book and saw all of her coworkers' names, she would have had an idea what was going on because every other name she found in there was belonging to a dead fucking serial killer. Yeah. There's also a name in there, Cephas, C-E-P-H-U-S, which is another name for St. Peter, which I found just kind of comical. <laughs> so maybe that's the dig. I think that if we were devout Irish Catholics, mm. we'd have a lot more fun with this. But I'm yeah. glad that we are capable of having the fun that we have been able to have with this. Yeah. I really recommend it to anyone who is into occult or religious horror that has never stumbled upon this before. Because it's not a hugely well-known movie. No, it's really not. Um, I think it's a really cool story. I think it's a well-shot movie. It's It's brilliantly acted. I don't... Uh, I don't have a single bad thing to say about it, honestly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad you did, too, because this was a Lydia Peckaroo. This was a Lydia Peckaroo. <laughs> Gotta keep it lighthearted. It's pretty heavy duty. You know, we're it, talking about fucking serial killers, rapes, and the rape and abduction and, and murder of young men. We're talking about wife beating. We're talking about slaughtering an entire family for some twisted fucking medical reason. Holy reasons. shit, yeah. Like, a lot of really horrible Man, fucking when you, shit. when you frame it all like that, holy shit, yeah, this is a pretty fucking... Wow, yeah, this is every This police brutality, like, this is every... This is like... Every horrible thing that you could think that people do to each other, all these people in this fucking one building have done it Super or experienced fun. it. Yeah, I really, really enjoy it. That's awful. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> what do we got next for him? Coming up, we have a, another take on the horrific things people do and another fun use of the word prey. We're doing the strangers prey at night. Yay! I forgot we were doing that. It's a West Pickaroo. It is a West Pickaroo. This is this is gonna be. I don't know if we're gonna fight on this one. We won't fight because, but we don't agree on this one just yet. Nah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm just glad that you like this because it could have went, you know, another way. We'll see how much fun we have with Strangers Pray at Night. That's true. I'm super excited. I this- like the the first Strangers very very much. We'll put it like that. We- mm-hmm. We both like that movie. The First Strangers is is one of the great uh, horror films of the 21st century, and uh, so far, it has its problems, which are almost laughable. But yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but Strangers Two is a very different type of film. Um, I, in my opinion, they leave the home invasion thing out the window, and it becomes a straight slasher movie. Uh, but. And I and, and I'll get and get more into it for the next episode. I've never had more fun in a movie theater. I've never been more happy, and I've never been more excited, like for a movie in a really fucking long time. And I think like, like it was my favorite horror movie of 2018 in a in a year that included one of the best Halloween sequels ever. Wow, I'm gonna have to think of the time I've had fun in a theater. If ever, it might be never because I know you don't. Yeah, you don't. You don't love it. I think that if six came for you, it'd be all, all the times you've committed murder in a theater. I have not yet committed murder in a theater. A lot of stabbed temples. In my mind, in my mind, Wes. <laughs> I'm Wes Knight, and I'm typical idiot. And you've been listening to Dead Air.